Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage uh, podcast. Um, Today we've got Chris Day, who is all the way in Hong Kong, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, early evening here. It's early evening, and I'm in the middle of the day. And and Chris is a, a learning and development uh, professional. He's in the financial technology uh, sector as a senior consultant and works across Asia. So we're, we're really excited to have us coordinate our time schedules uh, and have you with us today. Uh, tell us a little bit about what are you passionate about in life. Um, at the moment, well, as you'd hope with an L&D person, learning and development person, uh, learning and teaching, um, it's, I've always loved learning things as an end to themselves and then was rather fortunate to find a line of work where I get paid to go and learn things and then teach things to people. Um, and travel, it seems. <laughs> oh, oh, God, yes, and travel. Uh, yeah, part of the reason for the move out to Hong Kong is me and my partner are both love travel uh before we even met she and i both wanted to move out here so that was a rather f- fortuitous meeting yeah quite. we both actually wanted to move to the same place and how, how long have you been there for um it's just over six months okay. so it's been it's been uh kind of over three years of trying very hard to get out here which I thought is one of the areas, I guess, to talk about in terms of resilience. Uh, not so much, I guess, adversity, adversity, but certainly a need for resilience to get out here. Yeah, and like staying focused on the dream. Yeah, uh, which is quite, un- for those that know me, that's that's quite uncharacteristic of me. I've always been a very go-with-the-flow kind of person, I think, as a, as a as a coping strategy to some degree. But it's the first time I've really properly... Stuck with kind of it. Got a bit between my teeth and gone like, no, this is happening. Amazing. So, so take us right back. Give us a little bit of of, of context, and and I'm sure the adversity will sort of uh, be a theme throughout. Um, where did you grow up? Do you think do you think your your parents or the education system sort of prepared you for what life is really like? <laughs> uh, Yes and no. <laughs> I think so. I, I, I grew up uh, just outside Oxford in the UK. Yeah. Um, I my parents prepared me very well for the education system. They were very okay. I think quite old fashioned in that kind of like no, go and get yourself a good education. That's important. Right. Uh, um, so was very diligent through school. Um, sixth form, first person in our family to go to uni. Uh, that was interesting because that, uh, again, I'm not sure how much I, I'd self frame it as, as, uh, adversity, but it's the first time I really had to work hard at something. I think I, on reflection, I, I was able to coast to a degree through school up to uni because I was 
smart and quite bookish. And again, I already by then I just loved going away and learning things. So I didn't have to try hard to go through school well. But obviously, then you reach uni and you're surrounded by people who like studying and are smart. And I didn't, re- I don't know, I didn't really know how to react to that. I don't think I consciously reacted to it at all. I, I kind of just slacked off. I think I found myself quite uh, allergic to hard work and trying at things. So, that, so there comes the coping strategy of just going with the flow? Yeah, absolutely. I, which at uni, unsurprisingly, largely manifested itself with partying for three years. Of course. And then scraping a degree by the skin of my teeth. Frankly, I think I got a sympathy degree. <laughs> Do they still give those out? <laughs> um, yeah, well, they did back then in the 80s, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, uh, I, you know, where people are kind of borderline and get a viva if they're borderline between two classes of degrees. So I had a viva between passing and failing. So basically had done no work, no revision, unsurprisingly did really poorly in the exam at the end of it. Yeah. So I did uh, astrophysics. That's how uh, very, very geeky I was. That is a certain level of geek. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and and then you, yet you um, still passed or barely passed having yeah, partied I mean, through astrophysics. That, that's the memory I have there is that the Viva started off with it going, okay, what can you tell us about the difference between the way? Oh, yeah, I can't remember. It was like a you know, but a, a pine neutrino and a muon might behave in a in a clockwise uh, magnetic field. I'm like, uh, nope. And then they do that beautiful backing. Okay, no, nope, no problem, no problem. So let's let's back up one. Let's ask you about <laughs> a you know a a. a a muon and what you can tell us uh yeah and and within about five minutes the questions were at the level of so you know what an electron is right <laughs> i don't um, think that's how it works anymore yeah <laughs> sorry i don't think that's how it works anymore no i don't think that's how it works anymore um but yeah it was kind of that that's i looking back i think that scared me off from the idea of pushing and trying hard for anything for a really long time so then kind of, it was kind of like, well, going with the flow and not pushing hard in a particular de- direction means you never have to be disappointed. You don't have to deal with not getting what you want. And if you coast intelligently, you can enjoy yourself while you're, while you're doing it. So you get to stay so safe. Then, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and indeed, if I, if, I had a, if I had this conversation with me then... I I wouldn't have been able to process it because there was just no self-awareness there at all. But also I'd have probably thrown me out for being a boring asshole. So, so what happened next? How did this move you sort of into the world of work, uh, relationships, uh, life? Yes. So I think all of those for at least 10 years were just kind of kind of falling into a succession of jobs places relationships and i'm and through a i i think what i'd rationalize to myself is like well you know i'm kind of living in the moment i'm living now i'm not going to be pinned down i'm not going to have a dull life but it, it really was just an avoidance strategy and then at what point did you did things maybe crash around you or did you go oh shit i've got to focus on life in a slightly different way um, I mean, really not till, 
what did it mean? Sort of two thousands. So well into well into my thirties, I kind of fell two or three times back towards uh, kind of training, presentation, learning and development, etc. And and for the first time ever, found myself in a job I was really enjoying and wanted to do well in. And as soon as I started caring about what it is that I did and how well I did it, um, that that I, literally the kind of the, the month I started that job, I could track as the moment where, if you like, the main adversity that I struggle with now is anxiety, like the, the really difficult. Uh, crippling self-doubt that comes around like, oh, what if I'm wrong? What if I can't do this right? What if I do, yeah, the main thing being, what if I do the wrong thing? But but manifested itself in a lot of physical symptoms. So my, my anxiety used to always manifest itself physically. So uh, teeth clenching at night, uh, muscular spasms of the back and shoulder, uh, sleep difficulties, uh, yeah. So a, a lot of physical stuff, lots of migraines I used to get as well, lots of stress-related migraines, which would end up, uh, you know, laying me low for a day. And so am I right in saying you, you, you sort of connected this to the first time in your life when, when your job or, or some of your life sort of really mattered to you? Yeah. Because now yeah, you had the risk of, of fucking it up or losing it. Yeah. Yeah, although and the, although now I can see it as something that was very much around the idea of not being able to deal with failing or disappointment, ups and downs. I think at the time it was it it the, the specifics around the anxiety around doing it wrong, and and at a very a very negatively framed level. So it's not just, oh, I better not get this wrong. It, it was, a, I can't get anything wrong. So everything must be perfect all of the time. So that that then leads to a lovely cycle of hypervigilance and hyperactivation and a hypersensitivity. And absolute stress. God, yes. Um, and yeah, yeah. What, what were you afraid of? Like, what was the worst that could happen if you failed? And, and then, I mean, this is the thing is because having having largely not had to deal with that through life before, it's against this imagined manifestation of like the big, bad, scary failure. But but if you like, there was never ever, there was never a like, oh, I don't ever want it to be like that incident where things failed horrifically and it was just the most painful or difficult or hurtful to someone else. You just experience. haven't had the experience. No, exactly. So it was it was kind of to start with it's the it's the man, it's it's the that manifesting anxiety and stress and therefore like inactivity becomes really attractive again. It's the idea, well if I don't do anything then nothing could nothing bad will happen. Go wrong. Mm. And so how did this impact your your sort of day-to-day life? Ah, uh, that um, that I would very much waver between kind of having a sense of direction like, yeah, actually, I feel ambitious about this thing or maybe I could move on to this area in my life or my work and then at some point just 
bottling it and then sort of falling backwards again. There was a lot of self-sabotage. I feel like a lot of the uh, the migraines I used to get very frequently were absolutely there as, a, as an excuse to not have to do things. They would often happen around, uh, you know, deadlines or difficult things to do or difficult situations. Then a migraine would conveniently appear, which would mean I'd have to just literally back out shut the door close the curtains and hide from the world and not have contact with anybody at all um so very psychosomatic and then gives you a rationale for why you couldn't possibly maybe take a risk or put yourself out there yeah absolutely and and the other one is the is is the and if you like the classic uh, self-medication so I used to I, I used to quite like weed smoking weed and then it, that just became a way of coping with the stress like yeah so then you your mind and your body tells yourself that you need it in order to relax yeah and then it just becomes uh, a, a habit and then you tend to gravitate towards other people who also rather than kind of going out and doing stuff will just kind of you know you'll, you go to work and then you come home and then you'll just sit around and talk crap, smoke weed, watch TV. Pass because the time. It's, it, it feels like it's dialing down that anxiety. And uh, interesting that you say hang out with people that are doing the same thing because then it adds to that rationale and kind of normalizes the behavior as if everyone copes with life in this way. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's... Um, there's a, there's a, safe, a psychological safety in approaching it that way. And it's it also I think the I think the main not even just the normalisation that you say I think it also helps you avoid having to confront what you're doing. And I imagine those sorts of friends aren't kind of asking you those questions. What the hell are you doing? Or no, absolutely not. It's almost like there's the it's the tacit agreement that it's like we'll all agree as well as kind of you know, hanging out and being, being buddies, we'll also agree never to mention anything about why we're in this situation. Like don't challenge each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's like no challenging at all. Which again prevents the opportunity of building resilience. Yes. Or the opportunity of opportunity. Ooh, I like it. Um, so, so I know you're in a, in a successful place and you've taken risks and, and you're in Hong Kong and you're doing so many things with your, your life now. Talk me through the process of this guy who's smoking weed and is anxious and sort of likes his job but doesn't quite know how to maybe live to your full potential. What were the small steps that sort of moved you forward? Um, I think there were a couple. So I... I Firstly, it, I got, I sort of, it's the, funny, I was training some, talking to someone this week in a coaching session about the Peter principle. They'd never not heard of the, you know, the whole, you know, promoted to the point of your own incompetence. I'd done really well in, uh, like a presentational, uh, kind of technical roadshow kind of role where I was kind of doing, running a group of us going around the country, doing presentations to kind of technical audiences. And so got a step into management, which caught me at that feeling competent and ambitious and like, actually, I think I could do, you know, managing a technical team, managing some project managers. Uh, and I absolutely froze in retrospect. I did it. I tried it for about 18 months and I couldn't find the courage to make 
big, not even that big a decision, but what felt like big decisions, decisions with consequence, particularly those with consequence for other people. And so I'd find ways of prevaricating and, uh, if you like, a, a, a common flaw in people from, in my experience, in a technical background where it's like, I need to go and research this further. I need more data and then I can make a decision. And obviously that point never quite happens. Right. You, we never have the perfect, you know, synchronization of all data to make the perfectly no, well-informed because, decision. Yeah. And because there's always going to be uncertainty. It's, it's this desire to remove all uncertainty, which clearly can never happen. Um, and and for the first point that's, that pushed things to change was just becoming so unhappy in that job like really unhappy with the stress but also it turned out it wasn't it wasn't in the uh the realm that i was used to it wasn't a particularly interesting one so it was a it was a relatively uninteresting job to me and a bunch of stress and confronting me with my own limitations every day and it was kind of over christmas i mean i think 2010 i think and then I remember over the Christmas being like going back to visit my folks and family, and we're a very stereotypically English, not particularly demonstrative or open mm. about emotional conversations. And yet everyone was like, "Wow, you look like you're right there. Like you look really unhappy." And that's so that kind of shocked me. The frequency with which members of my family we never talk about emotions. Going like, "Chris, you're right. Like you, you just seem really unhappy, really." And um came back from the christmas holiday uh sat down and chatted with my boss who who was smart enough who was a who was a good boss and was smart enough to realize what was going on and offered the possibility of a not quite a redundancy but like a like a no harm no foul departure and set up like opened up the possibility in my head of like okay like maybe i should just stop doing this it's making me really unhappy and I don't, I don't see any good direction this is going in. Um, I love how that's sometimes where the opportunity lies, like noticing how um, horrific a current situation is getting, sort of as the impetus to to drive you forward. Like the, the taking the courage to take the step suddenly feels less painful than the you know the horror that you're in. Yeah, and, and, and interestingly for me, in terms of a behaviour I've uh, noticed in myself a. a like periodically is also being able to see that not having to keep doing this was actually a possibility that that if others hadn't gone wow you look really unhappy and then hadn't practically and pragmatically gone okay here is a route out of this that might help i'm not sure how much longer it would have taken me to go like hang on a minute why am i still doing this so you kind of needed or it helped to have the mirror kind of held up to you of, of, you know, what you looked like and how unhappy you were. Yeah, completely. So if you like, this is the, in terms of um, thinking before us chatting today, I literally write down like two or three things, little points. And, and the one that kept coming back to me again is it's about people. It's about the people that are around you. It's, and it's about listening to them. Oh, that's the the key extra. So mm, it's the people that, and it's the, the listening. Yeah, that, I mean, those that's two of the three things I wrote down. Was it? it's about people and it's about listening. So it's about people who know you well enough. And then, and then, if you like, then the third part of that 
while talking about that with um, you know mutual friend we you know, how we how we were introduced with each other um, said look I've got a spare room in London if you know if you can move here you'll have a much better chance of getting work uh, and also just like you know new new place new opportunity you can come and stay rent free until you find work so another and opportunity so yeah, and that was the thing that jolted me out of it was that kind of just uh, you know a, a, a really good friend being a really good friend going look you know I can't magic magic this stuff away but I feel like this will help you yeah and so then uh, moved to London that year I think I was still uh, shell shocked for a couple of months, just kind of like out of that being so persistently unhappy, just weeks after week after week after week. It took me a long time to kind of spring back from that. Started uh, looking for work. I had, I had like a little pot of money to, that I was kind of existing off, and it was it was really took that little pot of money getting almost non-existent for me to go like, no, I need to pull my finger out here. So again, it was the, it was another situation where kind of I'd kind of like the the passivity had pushed hard up against a wall of okay, we can't go any further than that. And like survival, then if you're running out of cash yeah, yeah. and you suddenly go shit, I've got to figure something out. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the the the, the strategy of avoiding or evasion that's worked for like twenty odd years. Like this really doesn't actually produce food. Funnily enough. Um, <laughs> But, the, so but, the, but for that many years, you're certainly going to have some ingrained habits, aren't you? As, oh, oh, good God, yes. Right, and um, it takes a little bit of time to go, oh, hey, you know, desperation, I've got to do something different. Yeah. And so that that led to me properly taking seriously the idea. Because, again, even then, although I kind of instinctively knew what kind of work I should be doing, because it was, you know, consistently um, L&D's what's... Uh, interested me i'm good at it it excites me yeah um i was still even then going because i was still in that quite negative state going oh like maybe there's something else maybe i should think a bit more maybe i should research other kind of work that's out there the curse of research yeah the what was it yeah analysis paralysis yes it's it's a perfect excuse to carry on not doing anything yeah so then Started job hunting properly, worked in a call center for a bit, doing um, uh, kind of charity fundraising calls, which was horrible, 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 horrible work. That's a good training ground for building resilience, though. (laughs) Like, like really, like that was the, by some distance, the least enjoyable job I've ever done. And I've done, you know, like most people done some kind of, fairly crappy physically hard dirty messy nasty jobs but that was the most physically unpleasant emotionally unpleasant like the antithesis of me yeah although 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 obviously your boss is there and you trying to cope again like look i'm getting money for good causes here it's a it's a high pressure sales job and it's largely predicated on persuading people then and there who aren't you, you you can feel yourself aren't necessarily the most emotionally resilient people who are like oh go on then like you kind of feel like you're bullying people out of their money that's not a pleasant 
way to make a living. Not at all. So, yeah, thankfully I found work at the company I'm still at now. Okay. Um, and Leah loved it from the start. It was nice to feel competent and satisfied and feel like, I don't know. That, again, it's, it comes back to this thing about people. That, that um, I, I was very lucky there, like in a, a team split across kind of like a London location and a Surrey location. That it was deliberately built as a very mutually supportive, very positively focused team. So risk taking felt less risky. Okay. And okay. so it kind of grew, grew into the role really qu- very quickly, became very successful very quickly, kind of connected me back with the things I'm good at and care about. Yeah. Which feels again to me like it's a that's that's an important thing about kind of it, it's 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 a glib enough thing to say that it feels like a bit of a cliche, but finding the things that you care about and are good at is a ridiculously good guide to what you should be doing to earn a living. What you should be then putting your work ethic behind to, to sort yeah. of yeah enhance. Yes, and the if you like the change that's happened, I'm 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 kind of I'm I'm. I'm thinking I want to fast forward a little bit here rather than just recapping yeah, yeah. my career for the last six years at that place, whereas it kind of feels like the, the stuff that's been tough over the last year or so. And what I've learned, a big, the shift that slowly happened is I had, I had initially gone in as a technical trainer. That's my background. I've done software development, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I, I initially came in as a technical trainer of technical staff, but very quickly I found myself wanting to be more and more a part of professional development skills, uh, soft, skills soft skills I know a lot of people call it but we hate that phrase of course because <laughs> because we're fighting against a cynical techie audience who very much split things into hard i.e. proper skills and soft i.e. unimportant skills yeah um but I found myself having previously worked with a coach and worked with a therapist and so understand having a vocabulary there and having a framework to understand that kind of work. Found I was getting more and more involved with helping out our our full-time PD uh, trainers, a couple of occupational psychologists, and finding that the far more satisfying part of the work. Mm. Because that's then, as I'm sure you know, that that's where you start feeling like you can pull on your own experience to support and enrich what it is you do and teach for other people. But most importantly, and and over the last few months has been re-emphasized to me probably stronger than ever before, how much it works the other way, how much teaching other people and coaching other people on this stuff helps you learn and embody this stuff far more than if you were just doing in isolation always the things we learn from our our clients and and the people we we work with is um, far surpasses any kind of theoretical training that we could have yeah god yes um so if you like the shortcut version is so having having met helen and realized we once we realized it was serious and once we realized we both wanted to move out to, to, to southeast asia generally but hong kong specifically uh, our company has a big office out here, so we were pushing for, like, you know, looking at transferring. Yeah. It seemed quite positive. 
let's give the, the the polite, really short version is there was a lot of people on our side very much in favour. It, it got to the point where the company needed a person doing this role out here. I wanted to do it, and uh, my boss was like, yeah, I think you should do it. I think you'd be best suited to it. But on the other side, internal politics over here meant it was quite forcefully being resisted. Like there was a, like if you like, the chain of command here didn't see the point because they didn't get how staff development works. They, they saw it in a very transactional, very pragmatic, okay, when we take on new technical staff, someone comes out and trains them for two weeks on technical stuff and then they go and that's it. That's all the development they need. Done. They have now been, they, you know, we have now put that software into the side of their head and now they understand those technical skills. So it was three years of pushing for that. I'm almost getting out of here a couple of years ago and then looking like we were going to move to Chicago instead because an opportunity came up there, which then fell through for different reasons. And then a year or so ago, um, it seemed like we were weeks away from getting it all sorted, move out here, done and dusted. Um, and then that got... Uh, kind of vetoed at the last minute from over here. And so at that point, again, this is one of those points where you feel, again, perhaps in contrast to before, where it had been me passively bouncing along the bottom and then hitting a wall of, you know, I need to eat or I need to, you know, something's preventing me from avoiding it. It's like, okay, no, what are we going to do about this? And so sitting down and having the conversation going like, are we, are we still both committed to this? Do we still both definitely want to move? And we're like, well, yeah, we do. And it doesn't seem like we're going to do it. We've been trying for a, for a long time now. It isn't going to happen with this company. So what we should do instead is start saving money as much as we can, move out here spring next year because the recruitment season here is very seasonal. Um, and then keep them and then do the, the do the classic uh, bonus day resignation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite working in in financial technology, we are not as we are not uh, as well uh, bonused as people might expect. Like back, we we don't get like banker bonuses. Sure, sure, sure. But that little bit of extra money is like okay, you know, that's an extra. F- you know, a few weeks. If we're living off just savings and nothing else, then every little extra penny will help. And I'm curious about, like, I think for a lot of people, when chasing the dream or a dream gets hard mm-hmm. or there's lots of obstacles, we can tend to begin to rationalize in our mind why maybe it wasn't the dream after all, you know, mm-hmm. in order to, as yes. you said before, feel less disappointed. And you obviously had some some conversations and the, just the self-doubt creeps in. Was that your experience? Absolutely. Uh, and particularly the, um, like, it, like when something has been at that fo- that much of a focus of a, of an ambition and a dream for so long that you, it, it becomes its own thing. And exactly like you said, like, oh, was this actually the dream? Right. I remember it, ironically, as we were working towards it, what used to be uh, two or three times a year having to come out here for a couple of weeks at a time uh, just fell away. Just just coincidence, like the person who came out to do the training did, was determined by the type of training they needed. And for a, a good year and a half, it was always one of the other trainers. And so I ended up coming out. We both came out here. It's, 
last year, 18 months ago, and genuinely got on the plane with trepidation because we were both like, well, we've been pushing this so hard for so long. Neither of us have been here for two years. Right. <laughs> Once we get off the plane and realise, like, oh, God, oh, we were completely wrong. Like, there's this, just this idea of the dream, and now we've changed and it's not there anymore. Yeah. As you say, like, self-doubt will be – is remarkably persistent and will hook itself onto whatever's available. And so for a while we were, we were really like, God, what if we hate it? Yeah. In this whole process – would you can you was there a defining moment that was maybe your your lowest moment or the time when you were just like what am I doing or or sort of crashing out in some way yeah I think it was that that first that first time when it looked like it was all about to happen and that had that was a long lead-in that was weeks and weeks and weeks of like oh okay this and there's this meeting's going to happen and then there and then once that's agreed then we can start working out the transfer terms and blah 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 that. so it yes. was very far down the road and then about a week from when it was going to happen the chain of command over on this side just went uh no nah change my mind so just the disappointment i mean what did that feel like um it's oh god it's so it, so the disappointment of itself because it because it felt like you'd done like 95 percent of the work so it's like oh okay we are allowing ourselves to believe this is going to happen it's not just a passing comment a lot of work was done yeah so it's the suddenly having that pulled away from underneath you but it was also the arbitrary nature that it wasn't really it was done by someone who was sufficiently senior that they didn't have to give a lengthy justification it was like no no because no right right and you're just laughing so, at that so it's the idea of like ugh, you know it's the utter arbitrariness of it and i still don't really know <laughs> That it, so it, it was difficult. It felt like it wasn't even a considered decision. It was like a, nah. Change your mind. It was a whim, yes. Now it's a whim, no. Bye. Yeah. And so that, yeah, dealing with that disappointment, having to deal with the, and like, then it's done. It's like no more discussion, no face to face discussion with that person. So it's also kind of remote and, disembodied and impersonal there's so there's not even a there's not even a moment where you can be angry with someone or reason with someone yeah so you're just left with your feelings and your emotions and yeah and then the how the hell do we move this forward yeah and there and number one again it's it's coming back to the you know it's people it's like having we but we both know because we've talked about it then and since that either of us individually on our own, we would never have stuck at it. We wouldn't have had that resilience without each other's support. Interesting. So, so would you say that when one of you was like on the brink of giving up, the other one might sort of lift that person up or, or sort of say, Hey, let's give it one more go and vice versa. Absolutely. And again, you know, you know, both of us, Yeah. we have quite complementary personalities. You do. So that, that tended to lend itself to that, that when one of us was feeling thwarted by something in particular, the other one was quite likely to be going like, oh, no, I can see an angle here. We're good. 
And the, and the learning I want to draw from that um, the, for, for the listeners is, even if you're not in that sort of level of, of partnership, um, having people around you that can challenge you or can give you a different perspective is so crucial, kind of nurturing those people in your life. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, beca- and because, and again, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily needs to be, come down to saying like having someone who's, uh, you know, who's actually a partner. Yeah. But it's then exactly as you say, nurturing that kind of relationship, but but also doing it in a kind of, for want of a better phrase, like a working out loud way, like explicitly talking about what is going on, because that's what helped us too, that we had enough of a, a vocabulary there to be able to say, okay, this is hard. How can we support each other? What is it that I can do to help you? What is it that you can do to help me? And not not leaving it to chance and not... And not leaving it to be stuck in your head because that's where things like depression, anxiety, all of that stuff seems to bubble over the surface when it has no form of expression. God, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just literally, although I put listening as one of the main things for me, it's just that it's sharing. Talking, asking for help. That's what I'm hearing yes. you say. Yeah, which, which can be really hard with... Um, you talked about British culture, the conditioning there, male culture, the conditioning there, anxiety, yeah. mental health issues, the conditioning and stigma around that. You know, there's kind of so many reasons that people tell themselves to not talk uh, just based on the shame. And then they only talk when, as we've said before, it gets so bad that there's so many symptoms that they feel sort of forced to. But then the relief is huge. Yes. Yeah, we would not, we would not have been able to keep going without that mutually supporting relationship and as you say talking talking and even in that even in that respect because of our quite complementary personalities again with that if we hit a subject where one of us was like i don't really want to talk about i don't want to externalize that kind of thought process that kind of emotion again the other was typically able to go like no come on sit down let's do it okay what was it um, like? What was the feeling like when you you actually got the news, or you felt that it was actually real, or maybe it only felt real when you actually landed in Hong Kong, you know, to to start this part of your life? Yeah, the interesting shift. So just just to go back, come back a little, which again feels like another little lesson for me, particularly someone who's always kind of pushed against anxiety, is when we hatched our plan of like, right, we're just going to keep dumb, save every penny we can, wait till the bonus hits the bank account and then hand in our resignation. There we go. That's it. Like no, no, no animosity, but just if we want it to happen, it's not going to happen with them. We're done. You were ready to give up that route. Yeah. And I I, I, literally the day after we'd made that decision over the weekend, I had the best year of my working life because I'd suddenly let go of all of the outcomes. Suddenly all those anxious behaviors that are pinned on yeah but what if that goes wrong but what if this doesn't work out yeah because i completely rotated my uh my frame 180 degrees so it was now okay right i've got however many months left i'm looking for other work in the same thing so what i've got to do now is try as many different things as possible plunge into everything develop my skills as strongly as i can build them in these specific areas go and so with that framing, suddenly it became not effortless, but suddenly there's a confidence there. And there was a growth there that was that happened almost daily. Yeah. So just that ability to let go of the outcome. I mean, that's huge yeah, yeah. If, we, if, we, if people apply that to all elements of their life. 
when they're holding on to that, that control of what they think needs to happen rather than letting go and just applying their work ethic and their, you know, connection, talking to people to that journey that they want to go on. Sounds like you began to enjoy the journey a bit more. Yeah. And, and this is, this is the beautiful thing. Again, a lot of what you're talking about and what I've said, I mean, these are things that are, you know, you, you hear people say, and you understand that these are beneficial ways of approaching these kind of problems, but it didn't seem real. They seemed like cliches or a thing people say until you start experiencing it. Feel that. that, Yeah. And it's that, self-reinforcing aspect of it that again the listening is not just about the listening and the sharing with other people but listening to yourself and, and paying attention to the change and because i was because i noticed it and then it's easy to develop a, a more positive habit going you know what when i notice these positive changes it makes it easier to carry on so i'm going to choose to keep noticing these and do you do you have any sort of routines or practices that that you put in place in your life that help you to do that yes um i mean obviously there's there's the specific one with the role i do that you know train people every single day on uh interpersonal skills communication coaching that really helps yeah but uh, obviously that's not open to everybody um i'd floated in and out of 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 meditation and now it feels like a, an embedded habit because it feels like it it was before i think I, i'd kind of dabbled with the idea of it because it was something that was kind of chasing the idea of a quiet mind so it was a, it was another means of avoiding the discomfort of avoiding negative or unpleasant emotions it's like oh if only i could achieve this nice calm quiet mind it took a lot of full starts but i i feel also the experience of actually having some some change and some shift that allowed me to properly understand that for me meditation is not about the quiet it's about the noticing and then letting go of the thoughts that will always keep jumping in the idea that there is no uh end point of completely silent mind it's just a mind that becomes adept at going oh look that's there yeah we change our relationship to our thoughts uh, and and begin to learn self-compassion self-compassion and self-love as well is something that's always been difficult Mm. Because everything was framed around, ah, oh, but what if that's wrong and what if this is wrong and I'm only to be judged positive or cared for or loved if everything is right. Mm, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, it's a remarkably sticky self-belief. Whereas slowly with the practice of, uh, in my case, meditation, but again, those similar kind of like quiet, reflective, mindful activities – it becomes easier for the light, a little bit of light to get in around the edges and just once in a while go, rather than spinning out on that stuff, being able to go like, oh, wow, oh, uh, here comes self-doubt again. Uh. Yeah, I noticed and that one. That distancing, that, if you like, that mental and emotional step back, that observation, then makes it easy to respond, easier to respond to that in a compassionate way. 
with practice. Yeah, to be able to then look and go like, oh, yeah, no, this is a situation where I tend to kind of punish myself. I'm like, oh, here we go. Yeah, this is yeah. this is a difficult thing for me rather than why aren't you better? Why can't you deal with this? Right. Amazing. Um, I can't believe time has gone so quickly in, in hearing this this story, but we're, we're sort of coming to the end of our time. Um, what, what, if, what other advice might you give to somebody who is struggling with, you know, persevering with their dream or with a goal that they're trying to achieve and maybe hasn't had as much opportunity to build resilience. What, what mm. advice would you give to that person? Um, the, the one other thing that I broke down, which is a, a lesson I'm learning all of the time now is it's easy to feel overwhelmed or feel that, that there are too many things to get right, to get the dream happening. The focus that really helps me is just one thing at a time. Like no matter how effectively any individual can manage multiple streams or multitask, you can only ever do one thing at a time. And rather than for me, rather than feeling overwhelmed with, oh, my God, I've got to get all these things done before the dream happens or before the goal can be moved towards. It's like, OK, these are the, these are the eight things that are in the head right now. You know what? Let's pick one of them and do it. So take action rather than action on one thing is better than 300 things buzzing around your brain. Yeah, and going, oh, my God, there's 300 things. What am I going to do? And then cue the anxiety. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And just picking one thing and... And, and for me specifically, it's the, and not then beating yourself, I've gone, oh, I've got to pick the toughest thing. I've got to pick the thing that makes me, it's like, you know what? Pick the easy thing, pick the fun thing. Because then it's one less thing and then the doing and completion of the thing makes the next thing a tiny little bit easier. I love that. And I, I introduce practices like uh, writing down three things, only three that I will do that yeah. day. Because if, if I've done six things, I'm going to feel like a, a winner Whereas if I wrote down 10 things and did six things, I'm going to feel like a loser, you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 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 In, fact, in fact, the one thing beautifully came back, I talked earlier about the idea of like not so much like my life informing what I teach at work, but also what I teach at work informs my life. That just one thing bled the other way because I actually changed the way I mean, like training courses and so on often wrap up with what's your call to action? What, what are you going to take away from this course? And what are the five things you're going to change back at your desk tomorrow? Yeah. And realism, realistically, people, even the best motivated people won't do that. And again, exactly as you say, you've got five things and you do three of them, you feel like you failed. I now explicitly only have a train person. I just pick one thing because as soon as you go back to your desk, you're going to be busy. There's all the work you had to park to come on this training course. Yeah. Emergencies happen in workplaces, all the, you know, whatever emergency is for your work. It's like pick one thing. Yeah, I do, I, do, I do that as well in teaching about mental health and well-being. What's the one thing you're going to do to look after your well-being today? Because you want to get that momentum immediately. Exactly right. Exactly right. Love it. So, oh, that's so, reassuring to know that I, it's, uh, it seems to be working. Is it working for you? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are the tricks that completely uh, work for me and the people that I teach completely. Um, so, so what's life like for you now? Give us, give us a little sentence, a little window. We're so running out of time, but, um, what's it like for you? Was it worth it? Oh God. Yes. Yeah. And the, uh, the, the change in attitude that the, the adversity has helped me create. So the different attitude I now have based on the difficulty, 
means that I'm also able to get like you know there, there's there's no magical end point to it there are just as many frustrations and difficulties and awkwardnesses here as there are anywhere else in the world it's not like come here and everything else no awesomely gets better it's a very congested busy intense city yeah. as we were chatting before like you know we've come from sharing a flat to basically we share a room like property yeah. here is teeny tiny and yeah. expensive <laughs> and it's incredibly hot and humid most of the year and it's dirty and but the work place feel here is much more uh cutthroat than perhaps it is in the uk it's very uh competitive yeah and so there's all these other ones but it's like those are now easy to deal with it's like you know what these are just things we have to deal with rather than oh my god how are we going to cope yeah i like what we build an evidence base the more stuff we go through that kind of goes hey I'll tell myself, I, I've been through much worse. This little job situation, like I was raised in a cult and I, you know, got through alcoholism and depression and, you know, suicidal thoughts. Like, um, that's like nothing compared to this job interview, for example, or teaching these CEOs or, you know, what's the worst that could happen? And, and the more, exactly. right, the more evidence you build up, the more you kind of go, hey, I've been building up these muscles. I, I got this. And, and if I don't, I'm certainly going to learn something. It's... Uh it's it's beautifully self-reinforcing that if you like what that's why again that kind of that shifting just one thing yeah as a as like you're saying like as a muscle to build up as a skill and as a habit to start uh creating it has its own momentum completely and one thing a day is 365 things a year and like imagine the change after sort of that amount um chris thank you so much for for your wisdom and for sharing the learning this is so recent for you but i I really appreciate it um if people want to connect with you sort of online on social media or anything like that where can they find you uh i'm on uh, i'm chris day on linkedin i'm at shrop it's always easier to spell than to say uh, on Twitter. Uh, so it's S H R A A P. Lovely. We'll we'll add that into uh, the the show notes as well, so that people uh, can find you should they wish to. Chris, thank you so much for Hong Kong from Hong Kong. Uh, have a lovely evening. I'm going for lunch now. Um, we appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on, as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.